Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host here's your host this is episode 116 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen we often hear in life that in order to have success in any type of venture you need to know your why and sometimes your why can change and Retton Obasahan has been able to understand just how important this is because of a strong foundation laid by his parents. Born in Belgium, Retton would set his sights on America to pursue his basketball dream where he would play at the University of Alabama, earning all SEC first team honors and being named to the all defensive team in 2016, while also being named the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year. He would then begin his professional playing career overseas before coming back to the U.S. after earning a spot with the Northern Arizona Suns of the NBA G League in 2018. Here's episode 116 with Retton Obasahan. I'm honored to be joined by Retton Obasahan. Yes, sir. Yes, Thank sir. you so much. I greatly yeah. appreciate it. Pleasure. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> how often do you have to have your name pronounced um, <laughs> the wrong way? Oh, or should wow. I say, how often do you have to correct people? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say it, it is definitely a daily thing. Um, whenever Has I to come, be. Yeah. Whenever I come in a new environment or even every day I call housekeeping or in-room dining, it's, uh, I've heard the most creative um, with some of the creative ones that you've heard, um, Obama son. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's like five letters that don't even occur in my. In my yeah, it's name, not even but, there. Yeah, but I don't mind it. I think it's fun. Um, What's well, a unique name? Yeah, it is. It's Nigerian um, by origin, so I understand that. I guess it's not the easiest to pronounce. So I really got to a point where sometimes I just. Whatever you want to call it, just go ahead. Just go ahead, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you correct people? It depends. So um, I like to believe that the places that they need to say it the right way, they will. So, like, for instance, whenever we're playing games, we actually have uh, somebody that's actually designated and helps them with pronunciations of everybody's name. <laughs> so, <laughs> so whenever we come to, we're playing games, they'll say it the right way. But, for instance, when I'm calling, um, like, the concierge and they say it the wrong way, I'm not going to correct them. I don't really see the point. So I'm just like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> and just keep it moving. Well, even for me, Richmond, I mean, it's a family name. Right. But a lot of people, especially if they see it in print, they'll just see R-I-C-H and then the D at the end, and they call me Richard. Huh. And that's just common. That happens 
all of the time. Wow, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't think that. Yeah, so I have to correct them that it, it's Richmond. And okay. there's a lot of times though too, I don't correct them. You know, I, just, <laughs> I just let it go right, exactly. <laughs> the way it is. Now, was it a family name? I know you mentioned comes from Nigeria. Yes. Has it been in your family for a while? It has been. It has been. So, you know, Basilan has come down from like, great great grandparents to my dad to, to us. Um, funny thing is me, I only have, I have three brothers, no uh, no sisters, so the Basilan family yeah, name will keep, keep going. Keep it going. <laughs> it right? Keep it going. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's something I take great pride in. Yeah, I imagine you do. And obviously you take great pride in sports and that's why i wanted to learn a little bit more of kind of your journey especially you have a unique journey i mean coming to america uh, and the way you've been able to do that and then obviously flourish uh in the sport of basketball so let's go back before you came to america right and you're growing up Uh, (laughs) what's that like with your brothers um it's a lot of fun um very competitive very competitive so we got two older brothers and, uh, and then one younger and just growing up, he was always, you know, we we're always finding ways to, you know, push each other to, you know, to be the best that we could be, either whether it be in school, um, getting the highest grades or in sports and doing the best or just even like things we do in our community, just being able to help the most people. Um, it's, it was always about how can we push each other as a family to be better, just be that much better, uh, regardless of what the circumstances might be. Um, being that my parents migrated from Nigeria to Belgium, um, like the beginning wasn't like, you know, it was rough. You know, we didn't always have um, all the means we would have liked to have. And, um, but my parents never let me and my brothers use that as an excuse or a crux. Instead, um, my parents always motivated us to look at that as a positive, you know, to take our negative, turns them into positives and, you know, help, help them shape us and create a foundation on which we could then uh, build a better future for uh, myself and our you know our families to come so um it was a, it was a lot of fun growing up in the well, it had to be very competitive yeah for sure <laughs> for sure still is to this day did you have, i imagine so did you have fights did you i mean were you guys competing in everything i know you mentioned all the things that you were competing but i'm talking about just on a daily basis like who can run up the stairs the fastest? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, it's like, for instance, if you'd go to the park, it'd be like, who can get to the house the, the quickest? Or um, me and my brothers and my dad, we would play doubles in tennis. Um, so that was also a competition, like, you know, who would win the most games? Um, it's, there's just countless, countless of ways we, uh, we would find ways to just, you know, kind of push each other. But uh, yeah, those are, those are fond memories that I carry with me forever. And did your parents share with you why they migrated to Belgium? Um, yeah, f- faintly. You know, we've talked about it, and it's something that I, I didn't want to, like, I guess, probe my parents too much for it. But, um, like, I'll say the main idea was to provide uh, myself and my other brothers with a better future at life. Um, even though, you know, Nigeria is lovely. I've, I've been back. Um, but my parents, you know, believed that us moving to Europe would give me and my brothers a better opportunity to achieve the dreams that uh, we would have set out to have. Now, were you born in Belgium or were you born in Nigeria? I was born in Belgium. Yeah, but my two older brothers are born in Nigeria. And how old were they when your parents um, left to go to Belgium? Six, no, yeah, six and four. So they still probably don't remember too much. 
They they remember enough actually. Like okay. I've I've talked to my brothers about it. They they really like remember living in Nigeria and having and actually having a good time. So um, so we've we've talked about that. You know, at di- at dinner and stuff. So it's uh, it, ma- it makes for fun conversations. How old were you when you first went to Nigeria then? Um, I was actually in college. Uh, I was in college. I think I was about nineteen. Yeah, I think I was nineteen when I went to. Yeah. And what was your first impression? It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no. but now you're used to at least a little bit. Yeah. Alabama heat. I am. Because <laughs> that's hot. It is, but Africa heat is different. It's different. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's different. I've always heard the term. It feels like it's Africa hot. So yeah. no, <laughs> I know that's a different level. Yeah, it's definitely different. But um, yeah, no, it was so much fun. I remember getting off the. Um, getting out the airport and then my mom, my dad picking me up and uh, just, yeah, just riding through and just being able to say, like, okay, this is, like, this is what shaped the culture um, and the principles and norms that my parents raised me in. So it was, it was really, it was really cool to have a visual, you know, associated with that because even though we were, um, or we are a Nigerian family living in Belgium, um, our household is really i'd say surrounded around like the nigerian culture so everything would be it was very traditional to um the way my family was raised but at the same time we were in belgium so when i would walk outside the door it's totally different so it was really cool to then come finally come to nigeria and actually see like okay this This is, is the foundation right this is the country that goes with the culture so um that was that was really really nice to see Fruit is the best I've ever had. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's unreal. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> it's the best I've ever had. Some of the like best. Like what particular fruit? Um, I had some some of the best pineapple and mango I've ever had in my life over there. I'm a huge mango fan. Yeah, unreal, unreal. But uh, that's now now I see where my mom gets her cooking from. Because coming there, I ate like a king. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you inherited any of the cooking skills? Um, to a certain degree. I've been a little bit spoiled um, financially. <laughs> so um, I haven't always had to cook myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, you know, obviously with basketball, I've, I've been a little spoiled in that regard where I don't really get that much practice because I'm fortunate to be play for organizations or be in teams where, you know, yeah, here's your meals. Here are your meals, and it's you know prepared for you by somebody that can cook better than you. <laughs> so um, I can I can I can hold it down, but um, I wouldn't say I'm as good as my mom. Nowhere near. Yeah, you got a long way to go for yeah, that. Yeah, a long way. There's nothing like mom cooking, <laughs> right? No, not at all. <laughs> now, talking about the sports side of things in Belgium, when you're competing against mm-hmm. your brothers in the different sports, so what sports did you gravitate towards first? Um. Actually, soccer and tennis. Those were the two that I started playing. Um, yeah, so, it seems like soccer, that's a norm. I mean, yeah, that's, that's like exactly. basketball, football yeah, here yeah, exactly. in America. And also being that my dad played soccer. So because of that, you know, growing up, I you know, gave it a try. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Played it for, I think, maybe like one or two years. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it was a passion or no, anything. No, no, you no, just got out there and played. Did. Um, also, with playing in Belgium, it's really cold. Um, and it's rainy and snowy, and I, I just didn't enjoy that, you know, especially at a young age. I was like, nah, this ain't for me. So they moved it indoors um, to tennis. Um, 
played that for a little bit, but at the same time, I was like, mm, I don't know if this is for me. And then um, followed one of my um, older brothers to his basketball practice, and then that that was like that was really it. Like when I went to his practice, I came home to my dad. Yeah, I want to play basketball, and I think I was maybe like seven, seven years old, and. I've been trucking ever since. That's right. You never looked back. <laughs> never looked back. Not well, it's the, one of the big things that I love about basketball and which I, I know right. based on what you just commented about, it's indoors. <laughs> you don't AC, have to worry AC. about the weather. That's AC. right. <laughs> <laughs> that, and, you know, as a parent with three teenagers, they've played their sports and mm-hmm. they all played soccer as well. Right. And right. it was, you know, one of those things. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have to – as a fan watching my kids play, I have to worry about the weather also. It's yep. like, let's get back to basketball. <laughs> so it's easy, as right. a, even as a fan, you know, to sit there in the comfort of indoors. So exactly. I understand that. So what was it about basketball that immediately struck you that that's what I want to play? Right. I don't, I don't know if technically if I could say it was immediately. Okay. Um, I just remember that I really wanted to play it and give it a chance. Now, was it because that you saw your brother and you wanted to be like your brother? I think, I think to a certain degree you could say that, um, you know, because um, family is extremely important to me, um, family and even close friends. So um, I, like, I really invest, I guess, a great deal of respect in my brothers, uh, in my parents, uncles, cousins, all that stuff. So I think to a certain degree you can definitely say that, that you know, looking at my brother, looking up to him and... Um, you know, he was a star player in his regard, and I was just like, you know what? You know, maybe, maybe I do want to be like him. You know, maybe I do want to become like him. So, I think early, early on, it was you know looking up to your brother and um, wanted to wanted to play the game and be like him. And I think that over the course, I just kept getting better and kept getting better and kept getting better. And then the competition part started kicking because now it was not only like, oh, I'm trying to be like my brother, now I'm trying to beat my brother. And now, not, not only am I trying to beat my brother, but huh, I'm actually pretty good at this. So I, can, <laughs> so I can beat other people too. So, and, then, and then that was just like the vicious cycle that just like, I got it going to, because um, I vividly remember me being, um, I think I was like around like 12, and I was at this tournament and absolutely crushed it. It was like a Christmas tournament, like one MVP and all that good stuff. And it's like there was... Like I always remember, like along my um, basketball career, um, pro and just recreationally, I guess back home, there were always instances where, like, I would achieve something and I would just like ignite that fire even more. And it was like almost like throwing gasoline on the fire. It's just there would always be instances like I'd win something or this had happened or, or I'd play somebody that like absolutely kick my butt and I'm like, oh no, I gotta get better, you know? And that, that just kind of. It's always been pushing me forward, pushing me forward. That was your motivation. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, now it's, what, 19 years later, and I'm, <laughs> I'm still playing, still uh, trying to be better than I was, you know, yesterday. And now, is it um, why you're continuing to play today? Is it because of this motivation to reach the pinnacle, to reach the NBA and play at the highest level? Uh, or is it also that... You just love the sport so much that you want to play as long as you can. Because we all know we have a finite amount of time that (laughs) we can actually play at at a certain level. Right. So what is continuing to push you then? Um, It's a combination of things. Um, You know, I like to 
think about my why. Why is it that I get up in the morning and put myself through rigorous training, you know, consistently day after day? Um, and I would say one one aspect is just because I really love the game. Like I enjoy it, every aspect of it. Um, the, the even just competing to um, the X's and O's, to the strategy, to even like scheduling and how you have to go about that and watching film. Like I just enjoy the game and everything that comes with it. Um, but also I just love the competitive side of it. You know that um, the game, like the game doesn't lie. You know, you get out what you put in. So, you know, if you put in the work, then the game will reward you. You know, I, I like it when things are, you know, it's clear cut. You either put in the work or you didn't. You know, you either get better or you don't. So, it's very it's very simple in that regard that you just you just have to put in the work in order to get better and to achieve what it is you have you want to achieve you just have to put in the work and then you'll have an opportunity to actually get there so um but then as i've been getting older you know started with the love and the competition now it just became so much bigger than that um you know obviously coming to america playing college basketball um enjoying some success even when i was in belgium playing um playing over there, I started to realize that it's more than just me, that when I'm playing, when I'm playing the game, there are people that look up to me. There are people that consciously, consciously or subconsciously attach a certain degree of their motivation, um, their happiness, their entertainment to what it is that I do on the court. And when, when I started to realize that, he just added another you know, sense of motivation because now I'm like, okay, now I'm not only competing, but now I can I can actually be of service, you know, to a community, to a person, to the world. So it just became so much bigger that um, it's not just about basketball anymore. It's I have an opportunity to through the game of basketball to impact somebody for the better, to maybe make them do what they want to do or push through a bad day, and um, and yeah, that just all that stuff just keeps me going. And that's why I think sports is so big. Right. And so much bigger than some people want to give it value yeah, exactly. in terms of it is bigger than just the game itself. And to your point, you know, what you put in is what you get out. And right. that's life, right? Right, exactly. You know, it's how much you're willing to put in <laughs> is going to be what you're going to get in return. Exactly. And, you know, in terms of how people can look up to you, uh, does that put pressure on you in terms of, okay, I've got to perform at a certain level or I've got to maintain a certain level of humbleness right. or, you know, and also level set myself. Does that, you know, is that a struggle at times to have to live up to certain quote unquote standards? Right. Um, I wouldn't say it's a struggle. I will say it's something that I had to learn. Um, Cause like I said, over time, that's when I started to realize that people actually pay attention to who I am and what I do and how like my actions do have impact. On Was there people. a moment though that it really started setting um, in that you can remember that you felt that there was an impact of what you were doing? I would say, like I, I noticed it, I would say when I was like 16, 17, and then going through my first couple of years at Alabama. But my senior year at Alabama, when um, I really started going and achieving individual success and having the opportunities on and off the court to speak to kids and speak to camps and 
Um, there would be times I would even be speaking at, um, <laughs> at like actual like banquets with like state officials. That's when I started realizing I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. this is a little bit bigger. Okay, I'm, I'm 21 year old talking to like a 65 year old senator. I'm like, this doesn't add up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, so, but I guess um, why it didn't add any pressure was because um, I'm very fortunate to have the family that I have and the uh, character qualities and the standards that they, you know, raised me with and instilled me with. So, you know, my dad always says, when you know who you are, you know what to do. You know, and I think that's really important, especially in this day and age. We're, I feel like a lot of people are getting out of touch with who they are or maybe even who they need to be. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like a lot of people are trying to you know, almost compensate. And I just wish that more people my age and even younger would realize that you don't have to live up to somebody else's standard of you. You know what I mean? Like you got to really find for yourself how you feel, what you think is best, how you can be of a positive uh, impact in your community. And with that, that's all I try to do. You know, all I try to do is be of service to whoever's next to me, whoever's around me. So that just takes the pressure off of me because it's not necessarily about me. All I try to do is control what I can control. And that's my emotions, my habits, my actions, my energy, the way I interact with people. Everything else is in God's hands. So that, that in itself takes, takes the pressure away. You know, you just got to come out there and compete and then let everything Everything else that you can't control, just leave that in God's hands. So I think finding that balance, that takes all the pressure away. You know, because yeah, you're focusing on, to your point, the things that you can control. Exactly. When you start focusing on the things you can't control, that's when you don't have the ability to be self-aware and understand who you are and right. what path might be best for you. And, and unfortunately, as great as technology is and mm -hmm. obviously social media, yeah. that's where we can get caught up exactly. with trying to compare. And right. uh, I know there's a lot of people that can question social media, but it does have the negative side of it's not always real. Right. Because people are trying to put a different image forward than who they really are. Exactly. Just so they can compare themselves, right. you know, to somebody else and think that they're in a better position when actually yeah. they're not, because it's not authentic. And I think that's where we also have seemed to have shifted away from focusing on authenticity uh, in society. And that's just something that we have to be aware of. So I love your mindset of Thank you. at least you're aware of it yeah. <laughs> and trying to, you know, yeah. and you talked about, you know, from you had a really good foundation from your parents. So was there a lot of discipline in your household? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. I mean, the Bible says, you know, discipline your kids in the way that they might go. So um, like, I truly believe that. And then, yeah, my parents, Till this day, you know, whenever I'm, <laughs> whenever I'm, you know, missing the mark or not, you know, living up to the standard that we set in our household, they'll, you know, they'll remind me of it. And it's not in a way of them condemning me, but it's more so in a way of um, that's not who you are. And I think, I think that's, I actually truly believe that's an important distinction. You know, when we um, condemn, um, I feel like 
the natural tendency is to defend yourself or defend your actions. But when you remind somebody of who they are, well, now they're, they'll remind themselves, like, oh, okay, I'm not living up to who I am. Okay, let me, let me tighten up, you know? And um, that's something that I try to, try to do with, you know, like younger players and even my little brother. Uh, whenever I notice he's in a situation that's outside of our family and they want to condemn him, oh, you're doing this bad, you're doing this bad. I'm like, don't necessarily focus on that. Just remind yourself of this is who you are. And if you live up to that consistently, you'll be fine. You know, don't worry about, like, the negative connotation that comes with somebody condemning you. Just remind yourself of the person you are and the values you've set. And then, you know, all of that, all that will take care of itself. Well, you just remember that when you're a parent. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell your kids. <laughs> because that is very wise, believe me. But as parents, we don't have this handbook, so to speak. Right. So sometimes you get shifted away from right. some of those foundational principles. So make sure you remember that. Okay? Yes, child. I need, make sure I write everything down. That's right. Well, just, oh, you're, you're a note taker. I like how you put lists together and your action items. So yeah, keep that one on there. How it. much exposure did you have to American basketball in Belgium? Close to none. <laughs> Literally close to none. Really? Yeah. So there would be times where... Um, some teams would come to Belgium and play in like tournaments and that would be like a little, a little bit exposure. Um, but my first, um, exposure to American basketball was actually the Kobe Bryant basketball camp that I attended when I was like 14. Um, when I was 14, my uncle lives in, uh, I have an uncle in Atlanta and an uncle in, um, LA. And, um, I went to go visit both of them for like a month and, um, they happened to be a camp, like Kobe Bryant had a basketball camp. So, you know, asked to sign up there. And um, due to, like, a misunderstanding of, like, the the form we had, to, we had to submit, I ended up being in the group 16 to 18 instead of 12 to 14. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, my first experience of American basketball was, like, immediately elevated, you know, going against, like, juniors and seniors in high school. And just to see that, I was just like, like, holy cow, like, these guys are, these are, like, super impressive. So that just, like, that was another was one. Was that of, in? That was one of those Adding moments. Adding fuel to yeah. your motivation, right? Yeah, that was one of those moments. And I remember coming back to um, Belgium that summer, and, like, some guys were like, yo, where, where have you been playing? Like, what have you been doing for the last month? And I was like, trust me, this is just only the beginning. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And did you feel that you could compete, though, at a certain Point with those guys um, again i know they were better than you just because right. older but did you feel that you were able to hold your own um yeah i felt like i could but i actually couldn't so i think it was one of those situations where i was like, okay maybe not now but like give me a couple months you know it was, it was one of those things and i've always been that type of guy to say that like okay like you might you might have like my number today but i'll be back tomorrow and if it's not tomorrow, I'll be back the next day. Because there's going to be a day you're going to lose to me. So that's kind of like <laughs> always been my mindset. And, uh, and that's how I felt at that tournament. Or like not that tournament, that basketball camp. Because I remember we were playing 5-5 five and five and they were just, yeah, they were just kicking my butt. Because they even asked me, because later they realized, they were asking like, how old are you? I'm 14. They're like, you know you're in the oldest age group? <laughs> I was like, yeah. They're like, do you want to switch? And I was like, no, nah, I'm fine. <laughs> Stay right here. Yeah. So day after day, I was just, you know, keep getting my butt kicked, keep getting my butt kicked. But, um, I mean, 
I'm not now, when did you down. learn English? Um, I learned that like as as early as I can remember. So we would speak English at home, like in our in our home we would speak English, me and my parents and my brothers. Uh, but then outside, I'll speak Dutch and French because that's the going um, languages in Belgium. So that was like the combination, and that's that's how I learned uh, languages going growing up. That's impressive. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> I can only speak English. <laughs> and to hear that you speak three and maybe four languages, right. that's amazing. It's, uh, so you it didn't have, well. Yeah, so obviously it had to serve you well because like coming to America. So you didn't have any real struggles from a translation perspective. At least you knew mm. English. Now, you might not know the, the geographical dialects right. and the slangs, right. especially once you got to Alabama. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that's something I had to learn. How um, was that transition? Whew, it was uh, eye-opening, I think, to say the least. It was definitely eye-opening. Um, now give me an example when you say eye-opening. What, what does that mean to um, Gosh, it's, uh, it's hard to just pick one. You know, there's just so many little things. I think... I think the biggest difference were, was in the details, you know, from the type of food, the cuisine, to the weather, uh, to it being humid there, to um, the sudden hospitality, which is a very real thing, to also the um, segregation, which is also a real thing. So it's, I think it's like almost contradicting, but still interesting how it know, very this, much so is. It's known for like their sudden hospitality. But I, I'd be I'd be lying if I if I said that I didn't if I if I didn't if I said I didn't witness some yeah, did degree you of segregation or racism or stuff like that. So it's uh it's funny how like you know you have two extremes of that in one place. But um, but yeah, no, it was it was definitely eye opening. And yeah, I experienced it too. In real negative ways or just both. That's that's the funny part. I. I um I experienced times of extreme generosity and that sudden hospitality where everything is so loving and you know people really just like wanted to take me in and help me get you know adjusted to you know the culture and anything that I need in terms of help with school like they were just always there for me and I always be grateful for the University of Alabama because it is but at the same time there would be times um, especially early on when people didn't know who I was. Um, where I would experience uh, racism and you know being called the N word or not being allowed somewhere because of the um, color of my skin, and um, but it was interesting how stuff like that actually became lesser and lesser the more or the better I started playing and playing. So I thought that was I thought that was an interesting uh, twist, but. It's it's still very real, and uh, that's something that I like to speak out on. Uh, yeah, I well, how, did, how did that make you feel then that there could be a component of how you perform was a reflection on how some people um, viewed you? Even though I disagree with uh, that way of thinking, it's 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 hard to refute. You know, I think that. Um, society even today is very like what can you do for me now you know and even though that's not the right way to go about it um i think it's just the reality of today today as it is so um 
no, I don't, I don't agree with it. But you gotta, you, you almost gotta find a way to to handle that and just realize that okay, maybe. Yeah. So regardless, how did you handle it? Um, by staying true to myself, um, learning, learning to realize that okay, maybe this is the way that it's done, but that doesn't mean that's how I have to do things. You know, I think that's again you know, goes, falls in line with my parents that when you know who you are, you know what to do. So my biggest thing is it's not always, it's not going to be about what you can do for me. I'm just going to be the best that I can be. I'm going to show you love. I'm going to show you compassion. I'm going to show you respect. And and that's going to be that. You know, you might have malintentions and I'm going to be aware of that, but that's not going to change how, you know, I'm going to treat you. I'm going to just be aware of it. You know, I think that's, that's like the balance. That's agreeing to disagree. You know, you might not, you know, agree in the way you're doing things, but if you can just like, okay, th- that's how you do things. Okay, I respect that. This is how I do things, and not compromise. You know, your integrity. I think you can actually go a long way with people that you disagree. So, well, too many times <laughs> people get so caught up in the disagreement that they can't even come to the conclusion that. It's okay to disagree. Right, exactly. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. And that doesn't mean that we have to dislike each other right. because we disagree on a certain opinion. Exactly. And I think a lot of people, especially as in the political world today, it's either you're on one side or the other, and there's you can't even come to a right. happy medium because exactly. of that. And it's a it's a short sighted way of thinking. Because and I'm a big believer of what you talked about the love thing is that the only way to be loved is to give love. Right. I mean that's the number one principle. Right. Uh, as far as being loved, you've got to be able to give it, you know, as mm-hmm. as well. And I always found it fascinating too what you described. Uh, it seems how certain people treat, especially athletes, and the talking about racism and segregation, the guys that are they're cheering for somebody like you or their athletes, you know, <laughs> to perform and they're going crazy, but outside of the stadium or the arena, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. Exactly. And it, it just boggles my mind right. that we're still in that type of mindset yeah. uh, today. It's unfortunate, but it's it's a reality. That's right. That's right. Why Alabama, though? I mean, I know there was a connection between the assistant coach and right. <laughs> your club in Belgium, but yeah. were there other schools? Um, there were. There were there were a few. Um, but I just had a connection to Alabama. Um, it was, when I went on my official visit, it was right after the tornado had hit. I think it was like a week or two after. And one of the things that Anthony Grant um, said at that time was, you know, his vision was to use Alabama basketball to reinstill hope in the community. And that was something that I could really f- find myself attaching my purpose to. I was like, I, I believe in that. You know, my, like I said, you know, that's, that was like the time where I was starting to realize basketball is bigger than just, you know, what happens within the court. So um, it just, you know, fell in line with the revelations that I was starting to have around that age. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is a team I want to play for. This is a program I want to play for. This is a coach I want to play for. And, um, you know, I'm proud to say that in my five years in Alabama, um, you know, I did exactly that. You know, through our team's success, ups and downs, um, I think we, we did instill a lot of, a lot of hope and, and uh, 
and joy and laughter in the community. So, And that's the other thing with sports, too. We're talking about just the value of sports, and it can go all the way back to when there are tragedies, how sports right. brings people back together. Obviously, a big example in America is after 9-11. Exactly. And what that was like and just how it can unify people, at least for a period of time. Right. You know, it seems to subside <laughs> eventually, right? But for a certain period of time. Now, how long did it take you to get indoctrinated then into Alabama football as a fan? Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to love Alabama football right. if you're going to be at Alabama. Yeah, exactly. But you probably didn't have much exposure to, obviously, American football if you didn't American basketball. Not at all. Not at all. I remember coming on my visit and visiting the stadium. And um, I uh, asked Coach, Coach Brand, I was like, is this, is this the soccer stadium? Because <laughs> in Europe, a stadium that size is soccer. You know, and then I saw the grass. I didn't see any goals. So I was like, like is this a soccer stadium? And they're like, no, nah, this is American football stadium. I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't until, you know, obviously a couple months after and the season started going that I saw that okay this is this is American football so it took me it took me a while to you know kind of um you to understand the game yeah understand the game and grow a certain affinity for it um which I eventually did um but uh, yeah I can I can see I can see it you know I can see the beauty in it and why it's you know uh, well there's a lot so, of passion yeah so for Football and then obviously Alabama football. Right. If you live in the state of yeah, Alabama, I saw it firsthand. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I became a fan. I still am, and uh, but it did it did take a while for me to kind of get acclimated to it. Now, did you have much interaction with Nick Saban? Um, I did. Um, every now and then, you know, he's he's such a great guy. That's that's a thing that I, um, a lot of people don't get about him. He's like so laid back. Um, yeah, well, he doesn't seem that way. He doesn't seem it on the field because they don't show that. Obviously, on the field is on the field. I'm the same way. When when it's go time, it's go time. Like all all like the fun and go stuff. Like okay, it's time to work, <laughs> you know. But when you just catch him, um, like during like office hours, he's he's such a great dude. You can just have a conversation with him like this, which I've done plenty of times. So um, yeah, no, I've enjoyed his company. Now. If you didn't have much exposure to basketball while you were in Belgium, who were you wanting to emulate other than obviously your brother? But from once you did at least get some exposure, like at the Kobe Bryant camp, I mean, were there right. guys in the NBA that you wanted to be like? Right. So I wouldn't say, like, when I say I didn't have much exposure to American basketball, I would say that's me actually competing against them. I would watch videos, like NBA videos, on my computer. Um, one of my like couple favorite point guards growing up was Baron Davis, like one of my favorites till this day. Um, grew up watching Allen Iverson, um, Gary Payton, um, Darren Williams, also like one of my all-time favorites. I truly believe that even Darren Williams is probably one of the smoothest uh, point guards uh, to ever come through the NBA. So those were guys that I, you know, I was watching growing up. So. I'll just watch videos of them, you know, constantly and, uh, you know, try to steal their moves. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Man, no, nothing at yeah, all. That's <laughs> a form of flattery when you try to steal what they're doing. <laughs> exactly. And so from your perspective, then your senior year, you don't get drafted. So what's your mindset 
at that that point? Not today, but maybe tomorrow. You know, so that's never changed. Um, obviously, it was unfortunate to go undrafted, but um, I remember telling um, this to my friends and family at my um, draft party. I was like, who would have thought, you know, when, you know, when I came to Alabama five years ago, bright eyed and <laughs> no facial hair, <laughs> I was like, who would have thought that, you know, five years later, you know, I would have, you know, set records and become a first team all Oh, you're All SEC, SEC Player of the Year. Um, or scholar, first team. Yeah, yeah Scholar Athlete team, of the Year. First right. team, uh, first like first team all defense, scholar athlete. Like who would have like who would have thought, like, yeah, these are things that you set out to achieve, but so, sometimes sometimes you'll set a goal and it would be hard to actually see it, you know, see it see it in front of you. So I was telling people like who would have thought, you know, that I'd go from, you know, Antwerp, Belgium to have an opportunity to even get drafted to begin with. You know, I, I think I had like 12 or 14 um, draft workouts. I had no idea, like I never anticipated having that many. So, um, so yeah, it was, you know, I guess bittersweet, but just to have that opportunity to even get that close was, again, like another, just like throwing gas on it. <laughs> like he was just throwing gas on the fire. It was just more like, motivation. It just pushed me all the more to like, just keep getting better, keep getting better and just see, you know, how far, how good of a player I can be. What do you think uh, the general population doesn't really understand about the grind of what <laughs> you and so many other guys are going through trying to make it to the elite level? Oof, I think a lot of people don't know. Um, I think a lot of people think they know, but they don't like have like an actual like visual, true understanding, true understanding of what that looks like. Like even... Even my friends. So this past summer, um, I created like a kind of training camp for myself in terms of like a schedule that I was following. And um, I had some of my friends stay with me during that training camp. And these are like some of my closest friends. And even they were shocked because they, they didn't know. Like they, they, had, they knew that like, you know, it takes discipline and working hard and all that good stuff. But it wasn't until they actually stayed with me that they saw, like, okay, holy cow, these guys always going. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they saw the time commitment. So they saw it. So I think that, and these are my closest friends who should know, <laughs> but they didn't even know. So I think a lot of people um, don't really know what it, I mean, what it looks like, but... I mean, oh, it's not just like showing up. Well, let me go to this tryout. Yeah, it's, there's much more than that. A lot, a lot goes into it. But I think that's the beauty of it, you know. And I think that not everything has to be publicized. I think there's a, I think there's a good balance that, you know, you have to do some work in the shadows. You just have to. Um, you don't always have to get a pat on your back for every, every workout that you do, or you know, every sale that you make, or every successful. Um, meal that you prepare you don't always have to take a picture of it and, sh and show the world so. well a lot of people do <laughs> yeah exactly so um i truly believe like a lot of you know it's cool doing it in the shadows i truly believe that but i think that you know i just gotta you gotta find that balance now you look like though you could actually play football yeah. So, I mean, I'm surprised Nick Saban didn't try to get you out on the football field. Because <laughs> everybody asked that, but the funny thing is he actually did. <laughs> yeah, he actually did, yeah. All right, well, you got to share that. Well, yeah, we just we talked about it once, you know. Um, I think he was, uh, 
it's like a defensive like a defensive coaches meeting and um i had just i'd been up in the office talking to him because we were showing a recruit around and um after he spoke to the recruit the recruit left and i just kind of stayed behind and talked to him and he was um laying out some of the plans that he had for alabama football um he like took me in the like their defensive coaches meeting he was like when he looked good in some pads, <laughs> and all their coaches were like, yeah, yeah, I think he would. And then they were speculating what position I would play. And then I was like, yeah, that's my cue to go. <laughs> my cue to go. You passed on that. Yeah, definitely did. It's an outdoor sport. Yeah, it's let's, outdoor. Let's keep it indoors, keep right? Keep it indoor, AC, <laughs> and um, keep it on the hardwood. When you look back in your journey, and it's still going, though. Yeah. You're, you're not at, at, uh, at a point where you're deciding to move on, but have you thought about through this whole journey, what will be your cue in terms of mm. when you decide not to play anymore? Right. Um, I think that's one of those things that when you get there, you'll know. I don't know if there's like one set thing I said, okay, if that happens, I'm good. Um, yeah, so you haven't set a goal that if I don't reach it by this date, then no. I'm moving on. No, I don't, cause I don't really, I don't really believe in that. I'm just gonna keep going, you know. Uh, as long as uh, you know God permits it and my body can handle it, why not? You know, obviously I say that now, and who knows, ten, twelve, thirteen years from now, <laughs> you know, you have kids and things change. But that's what I mean with when you know, you'll know. So I think that as of right now, twenty six, feeling healthy. Um, I can keep it going as long as long as my body can hold. So for now, I don't see no no end in in the future. But uh, I truly believe that once I get closer to that, I think that'll start to formulate, and I'll have, I'll have an idea, idea what that'll look like. And you've mentioned God a few times. How yeah. important is your faith? Oh, it's everything. Um, it's the it's the true foundation on which I I've tried to build my life and uh, my legacy, or even just the way I. I guess, move through this thing called life. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I think I mentioned it earlier, I think everybody needs a moral compass. I think everybody has one, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, it just depends on like where you kind of draw your line. Um, I've chosen to draw mine alongside with Jesus Christ in the Bible. That's just, you know, what I've chosen. I understand some people don't, and that's okay. Um, but I'm gonna live my life in a way that I think is best for this world and uh that's that's the path that i've chosen and then from a perspective of sports why has sports meant so much to you um i think because i feel like sports is also very spiritual for me because um, in a lot of ways i see a lot of correlation um like a lot of the even like a lot of the Bible verses, I feel like apply to what it is I do on a daily basis. You know, like from Philippians 4.13 to Jeremiah 29.11 to Romans 8.28. It's like they're all these verses, they almost like go hand in hand. Like there'll be times where, um, like you name it, where um, I'll, I'll never forget this. It was my junior year in college. So my fourth year. So a retro junior. And um, I just came off an ankle injury. Um, I had ankle surgery, wasn't feeling good, um, struggling with that. And uh, I wasn't playing. 
So I'm 20, 21, and I'm not playing. And the year before, I played a bunch. So, you know, that could have been one of those times where I was like, man, this is basketball thing really for me. I'm struggling, this and that. And there's a picture taken of me sitting on a bench where I was like cheesing, you know, because I always try to keep a positive attitude. And um, I remember um, it was actually a softball, a, a girl that played softball sending me that picture and literally said, um, regardless of how the game went, a lot of people can look at Redden on the bench and like learn a lesson from that. And when she sent me that message, the verse that I thought of was Jer Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, and I actually posted, I actually posted it on Instagram. And it's, it's funny because a year later, I'm averaging 22 points. <laughs> in the SEC <laughs> and um, and that's the thing like sometimes you just don't know what God has for you but you just have to stay consistent and I think that sports is one of those things like anything in life honestly but sports is just a little bit magnified because it's on TV but it just reveals your character it builds it and it reveals it so um, you'll have adversity um but again, if you remember who you are, you know what to do. You just have to stay consistent with, you know, the, I guess, the values that you set for your, yourself, the work ethic, and, you know, good things will happen. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's why sports and, I guess, my faith just really go hand in hand because there have been countless of times where it's been tough and I have to look at my faith. And there's been times where it's been really good and I have to remind myself of my faith. So it's been... Like on both sides, whether it's been going good or been going bad, I've always had to like find center, um, not to get too high or too low. So um, that's how like sports and my faith just kind of really um, go together. And I'm a big believer in terms of never get too high, never get too low. Right. And but when you can have a foundation that allows you to have that type of mindset. Exactly. Because if you don't, it's very difficult. And I didn't come into my faith until I was 36, 37 years old. And so I, I felt I missed out on a lot of life not mm. having that right. foundation. Right. We all have our own journey and exactly. just self-discovery. So I'm very blessed that now I've now I'm 48 that I've had this long period of time, right. 11, 12 years right. of having <laughs> that foundation. Exactly. So it has meant a lot to me as well. Now, from a perspective as we're wrapping up, Words of wisdom. You've, obviously, you've got some scripture and things mm -hmm. that uh, you have leaned on and that you value. But are there any other phrases, mottos, quotes, or just life advice that has Ooh. meant a lot to you <laughs> that uh, you'd like to share? I got a, I got a bookful. Okay. <laughs> I got a bookful. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's, it's funny. I was actually having this conversation a couple of days with one of my teammates. Um, he was like, you always say my dad's one set. Because my dad says a lot. <laughs> my dad says a lot. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I had a mentor um, a couple years back that uh, challenged me to to have these things he calls guiding posts, and um, it's something I always had, but he really like kind of put a name to what it is that I I've been living with for years. And what what he basically calls them are just little quotes that you can go back to. Um, in any situation in life. And um, and those that's why I like have a book when I have them all written down in my phone. Like 
for every type of situation I'll have I'll have a quote that I can go back to or um like for instance one of my one of my favorite ones is um action is a motivation. So um I think what that means to me is it's short and sweet. Action is a motivation is that I don't wait till I feel like it to do it. I do it and then trust that I'll feel like it. You know, action is a motivation. So for instance, you wake up, you're sore, but you got to work out. Are you going to wait until that soreness wears off and you feel like working out? No. I'm working out at 7 a.m. Action. I'll just go do it. And once you get out there, everybody knows, like, they always say the hardest part to getting in the gym is getting to the gym. <laughs> just <laughs> What, getting going. Just, just getting going. So um, action is the motivation is one. Um, choices, not feelings. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, keep carrying water. Uh, I, I have I have so many, so many, so many quotes that whenever I get in tough situations, even like in the game, like I'll just I'll just. Oh, you think it. of something? Yeah, all the time in the game, all the time. Like even uh, we play China, uh, Team China, and um, there's a there's a play in the third quarter where I drove middle, pass it to my uh, big guy, and he missed the shot. And um, I literally walked up to him, and I was I was literally trying to just tell him my quotes. And I was just telling him my quotes. I was like, just keep carrying water, keep carrying water, keep carrying water. And what that means is just like, you just just keep going. Keep right. Don't going. worry about that. Don't worry about that. Just Next play. Keep moving forward. Next play. And um, I don't know. That's just it's just worked for me, you know. And uh, yeah, I have I have literally I have like a notes just. Just quote. Well, I'm a big run, guy run as well that believes in these phrases, mottos, quotes, or whatever, and what I call words of wisdom that I tried to start sharing with my three kids early on, and right. they were bored to tears with it <laughs> and hated it <laughs> right. at the time. Yeah. But I do think that it is very important to to have those type of things, exactly. to have those things to lean back on, and it's scriptural as well. It, that's right. Yeah. It, it really is, and you know, I, and I, I think that regardless of how old you are in life, we all can have these words of wisdom and advice, and because we have different experiences, and so even going back to your point, where you're a 21 year old and you're talking to a person at 65 <laughs> in Alabama, yeah, it doesn't matter. Age shouldn't be a limit exactly. in terms of what you can share. From a wisdom perspective, right. because you have a different experience than a lot of other people. And but, Retton, I can't thank you enough for <laughs> letting me experience a little bit of your journey and you sharing that with us. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank That's you so much. Pleasure's been all mine. Thank you. Now it is true that you do need to know your why and what drives you, what motivates you as you're pursuing success or pursuing excellence in whatever you do. But until you truly know who you are, then understanding your why will be a very difficult task. And it's obvious that Retton knows his why as he continues the pursuit of his basketball dream because ultimately he knows who he is and that will give him peace of knowing what to do. Now that finishes episode 116 and more of our content can be found by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone.
You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 